Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan Kamigawa, Neon Dynasty, is here to save us. We've got preview cards to talk about. Listen to the pep in Ben Warney's step, folks. No longer needing to talk about the rares in Vow. I, I, have to, I hate to tell you, Ben, I think there will probably be some rares in Neon Dynasty as well. Are you going to be prepared for that? Are you okay with that? I heard rumors that they were going to include rares and mythics, but... I'm ready. They're not going to be as good. There's no way they can be as good as in Crimson Bow. It's not possible. <laughs> uh, yes, we are excited to be talking about Neon Dynasty previews, given our predictions for the new card. So we're recording on Sunday, January 30th, and we're going to be talking about just about, I think, every single common and uncommon that has been previewed so far. Uh, I know that a lot more cards are going to come in the later days of the week, leading up to the full set dropping on Friday. Um, but we're going to try and, and piece together some things that we can and get some predictions out there. And I have to say, having done dove into the preview so far and i wrote an article for cfb pro talking about all the mechanics i am really excited i don't usually get excited about a set before like seeing all the cards spoiled but i'm pretty darn excited about the mechanics and how this format is shaping up it seems really complex i am very excited as well reconfigure seems sweet channel seems sweet i'm a little lukewarm on ninjutsu after modern horizons but yeah i'm willing to give it a chance and i'm hoping that there's not busted one drops to enable ninjutsu should, should we talk about ninjutsu now? Should we talk about what we were talking about before the show now? <laughs> I suppose we can. That it's ninjutsu? Oh, no. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> that, it's, that it's spelled N-I-N-J-U-T-S-U. And I like both Ben and I remember distinctly it not being that, but that's what it is. And I just Googled, like I tried to Google it the other way. I was like, all right, MTG ninjutsu. No evidence of that ever existing. On Scryfall, all the old cards are spelled ninjutsu. I think we just got got, Ben. There's no way. It is definitely <laughs> ninjutsu. I think CFB and Wizards just hacked the internet and decided they were going to change it to a U. It's definitely ninjutsu. You, th- you just think there's like a massive cover-up conspiracy against us about the spelling of this one word? I do. I think we should put a poll out on Twitter. <laughs> And see how people think it's spelled. The most scientific of uh, analysis gathering. Yeah, for sure. So it's ninjutsu. I mean, I guess we still pronounce it ninjutsu, right? I assume so. You're the official Lords of Limited pronunciation expert. I don't know. I defer to you. Ooh, all right. Yeah, well, I'm sticking with ninjutsu until they pry it from my cold, dead hands, you know? All right, so we've got a lot to talk about. We also want to talk briefly about Double Feature. Um, that's been out for a few days. I've been jamming draft to that. We're going to talk about, you know, th- there's not a ton to discuss. If you've played Midnight Hunt, if you've played Crimson Vow, I think you sort of know what to expect, but just give you a little bit of a rundown there as that's going to be the premiere draft for the next couple weeks before we get our hands on Neon Dynasty. But before we get into that, a few housekeeping things. First things first, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose, of course. Um, everybody gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord who gives back via the Patreon. And we say it every week. We say it especially all the time when there's a new set out that the discord is the place to be to break a new format wide open if you've been on the fence about joining the patreon about trying to find a community of like-minded limited individuals take a dive here with neon dynasty coming out you will not regret it it's a fantastic community 24 7 limited tech support just a really really great space really proud of the community that we fostered over there and of course uh, we got a lot of other great stuff as you move up the ranks over on the patreon page so go check that out if you're thinking about giving back to the show if you feel like you've gotten some value out of uh, what we do here each and every week and of course, each and every week, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold. So this week, we are welcoming Vin Kelsier, Jedediah, Mike, David, Andrew, Carl, and Brennan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. 
That means Kamigawa Neon Dynasty pre-orders right now. So if you go to the CFB Marketplace and you're getting a box of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, make sure you use code LOL at checkout. There's also, I hear tales that people play this thing called Constructed. So maybe you're one of the people that (laughs) likes Draft and Constructed. So if that's you, I saw a lot of scuttlebutt on Twitter about this new Boseju. Maybe you want to pick up cards like that, singles for Commander, whatever. Anything you're doing over there for the new set, please use code LOL at checkout. All right, let's chat double feature real quick, Ben. Um, I think that my big takeaway, you know, get a lot of questions. People come into stream, of course, on, you know, the first day of a set of like, okay, so what's the takeaway? What's the, how are you liking it so far? What's going on? Uh, I think my, my big picture takeaway from the format so far is that you really, really want to draft it like you drafted Vow in the sense of, Get deep into one color and stay open to the possibility of drafting bombs in pack two since you're twice as likely to see something busted. So if you haven't played double feature yet, what the format is comprised of is you get a rare from each of the two formats, Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow in a pack. Uh, On MTGO, you get two uncommons from each set. On MTG Arena, you only get a total of three uncommons, so two from one, one from the other. And then the rest is a split of commons in the pack. So it's a really big card pool, but you're more likely to see a really strong rare because you ever, you know, there's twice as many rares opened at a draft table. Um, it feels like, you know, initially I was like, it just feels kind of like Vow. It does kind of feel like a more juiced version than either format because of the double rares that get opened. And so I think you want to draft more for raw power than synergy. Like you really want your cards to do their thing on their own. Now, there are a few exceptions to that rule, and I think that's mostly in blue deck. So some exceptions, I think, are blue-black, which I do think is the best deck in the format. There is you know, overlap in terms of a zombie tribal thing across both sets, as well as how decayed tokens and exploit interact. I think a lot of people pegged this as something that was going to happen going into the format, and yes, it is true. Um, it's probably the best deck, I think, with blue being nutso in terms of its commons from Midnight Hunt, and black being so strong in both formats, plus providing you know a lot of the really top-end rares that you can get from Vow, like, you know, Blood Vile Purveyor or Toxril or Dreadfeast Demon, all of Ben's favorite cards. Yeah, that's what I was when you were talking about two rares being opened. You just always pick the Crimson Vow rare, right? Yeah, yesterday I had a deck that went 7 2, and the makeup of it was five Vow cards, and I think the rest were Midnight Hunt cards, but one of those Vow cards was a Toxril. And uh, yeah, so I think you want you want your rares to be from Vow and you want your commons to be from Midnight Hunt, basically. Blue White Disturb is, is I think, probably the second best deck. Really, really strong. Again, works very synergistically because both of because of Disturb being the mechanic in both formats. Um, but beware that stuff like, you know, Hallowed Haunting, the strong build around from Vow gets a lot worse because now half of your Disturb cards are enchantments and half of them are creatures. So something like Hallowed Haunting isn't as good. Blue Red, a Spells Matter deck, though you want to be aware that cards from Mid and Vow operate on different axes, right? The, the Midnight Hunt cards that cared about spells actually cared about them being instants or sorceries and played a little bit more explosive and aggressive with like Festival Crashers. And in general, those common strategies are harder to come by because the card pool is so big right you're you know in a, in a normal midnight hunt draft you could expect hey if this deck is opened i'm likely to see a couple of festival crashers and they're going to make their way to me you're not guaranteed at all even if blue red is open to see one festival crasher let alone multiples of them you know and then you know the, the, the flame breather strategy or lamholt rack and tour lifestyle from vow operates on a different thing and also those cards trigger on you know enchantments or artifacts as well whereas the the festival crasher doesn't yeah, that makes sense to me. So full full disclosure here, I have not drafted double feature yet because I had an insane week at school, which is why Ethan is leading you through all this. But that makes a ton of sense to me. Are there any decks that get better than they were in Vow and Mid? Yeah, I've been really impressed with blue-green specifically. Now, this is largely still off the back of Midnight Hunt cards like Hoarder and Farmer, but all of the self-mill stuff that didn't really work or didn't seem to work in Vow that much really does now because of flashback cards existing. That was one of the things that like really missed, you know, you had your blue green deck with your vile spawn spider, et cetera. And it's like, and mulches, you know, like, what am I self milling for? Like just screeching swarm or whatever. And here you get the benefit of, you know, disturbed cards and you get the benefit of the flashback cards as well that exist. So I think blue green got a really big bump. And this is one of the reasons like now, what are the four decks that I've talked about? Blue, black, blue, white, blue, red, blue, green. <laughs> I do think blue is the best color in this set. And that's again, largely off the back of Midnight Hunt, but I think all four blue decks are, are really quite strong and can get there. 
Is there any room for more than 40 card blue green spice, you think? Uh, maybe, you know, that's not something that I personally will probably do. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big 40 cards or bust kind of limited player. But, you know, I think you could get there. I think there certainly if you happen to be at a table of people who aren't valuing organ hoarders, like a lot has to go right. Like people have to not value them. You have to have a lot of them opened at the table, right? Because you're not guaranteed even if blue is open for organ hoarders to be in the pack like you normally would think in Midnight Hunt because the common card pool is twice as big. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that could definitely happen. And I do think just like white based aggro strategies, maybe some less clear ones like a red white or a white green that were like, you know, fine to maybe even bad in the sense of red white in in either format, I think actually get kind of better here, like a deck that has a kind of lack of identity, because you're looking for more, you know, tiny little pockets of synergy rather than broad synergy. I've actually found red, white and green, white aggro decks to get there, like just a good curve of creatures removal and tricks can get the job done in this format. That makes sense. You've got some small synergies here in set crossovers. First one is traveling minister is great at enabling coven. You're speaking my language here. I was sort of like writing off some of the one drops is getting worse. And then I played a lot more yesterday and I was like, actually, and I did draft a white green deck with a couple of traveling ministers. And I was like, oh, dang, I had the traveling ministers. And then I forget the name of it. I think Harvest Tide Sentry, maybe the Mm -hmm. two mana, three, one coven. If you have coven, it can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. I was really impressed by how you could get a strong curve of Coven because Minister not only is providing a one power creature itself, but then because of its pump could really easily get you to one, two, three different powers on your turn quite easily among three creatures. So I was impressed by Minister specifically in green-white. I've been impressed with, you know, I had this in my deck yesterday, I had Edgar's Awakening, which you're like, eh, that gets a lot worse because you're not getting as much blood. But there is quite a bit of ways to loot. And so I found like, oh, I could discard this to a Shipwreck Sifters or to an Overwhelmed Archivist loot trigger and get that sort of free raised dead effect from the Edgar's Awakening. Um, Ecstatic Awakener plus Bioloom Egg is quite strong. You know, Blue Black, again, has a lot of good crossover synergies. And Graveyard Hate is back with a vengeance with half the cards from Midnight Hunt. And it's really, really strong. Like, just remember, your all your stuff in your graveyard can get got again. Diagraph Horde is back. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're in another, you know, don't be mid-range format, especially if you're playing on Arena where it's only best of one. You either want to make sure you get under the bombs or you have a deck where it's worth getting to the late game for, i.e. your own bombs. And as a result, I think, you know, blue-green, I think, is a, is a strong, grindy deck in terms of how it can dig towards you know, it's, it's best cards and take advantage of the graveyard, etc. But as a result, I think some sort of like, you know, big, dumb, green, grindy mid range decks get a little bit worse just because you're like, haha, I stick a flourishing hunter and everybody at the table is like, look, I don't know what you saw, but we saw a bunch of rares. <laughs> <laughs> this, this card's just not going to get the job done, you know? Rip Honey Mammoth. Yeah, Rip Honey Mammoth in this format. But I've been having a a good time with it. I think it's fun, especially the little like small synergy set crossover things. Those are fun to look out for. And I'm sure there's a lot more than just that that handful of stuff that I mentioned um, that exists that I just haven't mined yet. So uh, I'll be playing that set, even though it's best of one. I Oh, boy, I really hate best best of one. But uh, even though it's best of one, I think I will still be playing that up until Neon Dynasty drops next Friday. Yeah, I'm hoping to get my hands on some drafts later today. All right, let's uh, let's get into this new format. So first up, we're going to take a look at the mechanics, and we've got some really sweet new ones and some really sweet returning ones. What's up first? First up is Reconfigure. This was our Lords of Limited preview card mechanic as well. We'll get to that a little later in the episode. So Reconfigure is on a creature, and it gives you the ability to turn your creature into an equipment, and once you've turned it into an equipment, vice versa, back into a creature. So as a sorcery, you can pay the Reconfigure cost to attach this creature slash equipment to a different creature you control. You can do it if the equipment's just unattached, like sitting there as a creature on the battlefield, or you can move it back and forth between creatures you control to another. So essentially that half of reconfigure does exactly what equip does. There's also a rule that says an equipment with reconfigure that becomes attached to a creature stops being a creature itself. So once you take your creature that has reconfigure and put it on another creature, it can't be killed by a removal spell, for example. So it is an equipment at that point. And then the other half of reconfigure allows you to take it once you've turned it into equipment and attached it to a creature to turn it back into 
an artifact creature, which is pretty sweet. There's a lot of modality there. Yeah, a lot. So let's, let's give an example here. Uh, we've got a common, and for this episode, we will, you know, there's a ton of people talking about rares and mythics out there in uh, in the internet land, but we'll be talking about just commons and uncommons here on Lords of Limited today. So we've got Simeon Sling, single red for a 1-1 artifact creature equipment monkey, perhaps the best type line I've ever seen. Uh, whenever Simeon Sling or equipped creature becomes blocked, it deals one damage to defending player. So it as a one mana one one, if it becomes blocked, it deals the damage to defending player. And then you can reconfigure it. So turn it into an equipment attached to a creature for two mana and equipped creature gets plus one plus one and then has this ability. This has like real Tormentor's Helm vibes from Kaldheim to me, except way better because it's also just a creature on its own. Right. I mean, if you imagine a scenario where you turn one this, which if you're drafting them, like imagine you have five or six of these in your draft deck or whatever, three or four. Sure. Five or six is a little excessive. (laughs) Let's, Let's say three or four. But if you get one out on turn one, maybe the opponent gets off to a slow start and then you buff your two drop and it's got attacks. This seems like it could push a lot of damage to me in an aggressive deck. Yeah, I mean, it is an expensive equip cost, right? Two mana to equip for just plus one plus one is expensive, but the modality here like really can't be denied. I think oftentimes you, you want to make sure when you're evaluating modal cards or modal spells that you should expect to pay a bit of a premium for that modality, that the choice has a tax associated with it, but that choice is still quite strong, especially in limited. Like we're going to see a lot of like stuff that that feels like, eh, this is maybe slightly overcosted on both sides. But the fact that you get to choose between those two sides is really strong. Yeah, I'm tentatively excited about Simeon Sling. I think this is great. I think this will continue the trend that we have seen the past year of just really strong one drops across all colors, basically, in limited at common. And I think Simeon Sling fits that bill for sure. That's good, because that's where my head's at on it. But I didn't want to come out of the gate swinging too hard, you know. And so now that you've seen one of those cards, well, not seen because this is a podcast, but you've (laughs) you've gotten the audio description of a card that has reconfigured. There's a couple sweet things you can do with reconfigure. So if you've got it on one of your other creatures as an equipment, you can unattach it post combat to have an untapped blocker, which is pretty Mm -hmm. sweet. But if you're going to be doing that, just make sure you don't accidentally unequip with lethal combat damage on your creature. So let's say you've put Simeon Sling on a 3-3 to make it a 4-4 and your opponent chomped with a 3-3. When you unattach Simeon Sling, then your creature's still going to have three damage on it and it would die. So there's just some interesting things going on with equipment there. Yeah, one of the things that the article mentioned where they talk about the mechanics is like because the creature attacks with the equipment on it, but it doesn't tap the equipment, then you have that that untapped blocker on your turn if you use the mana to unequip. All right, what's up next? Modified is next. Uh, Modified refers to any creature you control that's equipped, enchanted by an aura you control, or has a counter on it. So not only are, I assume, plus one plus one counters back, but we know at least that like the death touch counters are back. The counters of uh, ability words from Akoria, I think, are going to be back in some capacity. So let's make sure we're, we're clear here that it's auras controlled by other players don't cause creatures you control to become modified. So if like there's a pacifism variant in white or something like that, and we know the blue has an enchantment removal spell as well. Uh, that's not going to cause your creature to be modified. Uh, and for counters, though, it doesn't matter how the counter got onto the creature or what kind of counter it is. If it's, you know, a death touch counter, a flying counter, a plus one plus one counter, or even a minus one minus one counter. So your opponent can, you know, sort of damage your creature in that respect, uh, but then that will cause it to be modified. So what's an example here of something that cares about modified creatures? We've got Aki Ember Keeper. This is one in a red for a 2-1 enchantment creature goblin warrior. Whenever a non-token modified creature you control dies, create a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. And this is common. And this could like affect itself right like it doesn't say another non-token modified creature control dies so this means like if you have an equipment on this or an enchantment on this that you own or a counter on this when this dies it'll make a one one if you have multiple aki ember keepers and a modified thing you control dies you will get that many one one colorless spirit creature tokens i'm again like really excited about this card That looks deep. I yeah. on first read, I thought this made spirit flying creature tokens. It's not quite that busted. <laughs> ben is always trying. He's like, eh, well, I've misread it. And so I'm now disappointed by the card in terms of what it does. This, this card's great, right? This card's still very good. Yes. Yeah. All right. We've got a great returning mechanic here in sagas, but with a twist. What's going on with sagas in Neon Dynasty? 
they're all transforming double face cards, but they don't transform while they're on the battlefield. So each has a third chapter ability that's going to exile the saga on the third chapter. And instead of sacrificing it, it's going to return to the battlefield transformed under your control. So on the backside of each is an enchantment creature. So for example, we've got Befriending the Moths, which is three and a white for a common saga. The first two chapters are the same. Target creature you control gets plus and plus one and gains flying until end of turn. And then the third chapter has what I think all the, the text of these cards are exile the saga then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control and it comes back as imperial moth which is a two four flyer so i guess for folks who are, are new to the game and have not played with sagas at all what happens is when you cast a saga when it enters the battlefield its first chapter happens and then at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase it advances to the next chapter so next turn you put it to chapter two and then the following turn pre-combat main phase chapter three so the thing, there's two things here. One, this reminds me of suspend. And I think that I'm not unique in, in that respect. I think a lot of folks have made that analogy here in terms of suspend was a thing where you could pay a cheap cost for any sort of spell, but a lot of creatures, you pay a cheap cost, goes into exile at the beginning of your turn, you remove a counter from it. And then when you've removed all the suspend counters, you get to cast it for free. And if it was a creature, it gained haste. So these creature sagas are like suspend two. For these creatures, you get an effect for a couple turns, and then you get the creature on the third turn. Except because of the exile return, it won't have haste. I think there there is a saga where the red creature does have, I think, haste and trample or whatever on the backside. But otherwise, because it's exiling and returning, it will have summoning sickness and won't be able to attack. So sort of like suspend three for an attack. What are your thoughts on the pace of these cards? That's a big deal, I think. The yeah. suspend comparison, not getting to attack the turn it comes into the battlefield. So I think that's a bit of a knock against the power level of the cards. And there's some awkward tension in that as well, too, like specifically here on Befriending the Moss, right? The first two chapters of this card are pretty aggressive. Right. And then the creature you get on the backside, when it comes into play, it's not going to be able to attack. And it's got a big butt. It's not aggressively statted per se. So I think you'd ideally want a card like Befriending the Moss at the top of a curve in a white aggressive deck but i don't know I, I think they look powerful so we'll have to see what the pacing of the gameplay is for how they play out i think this specifically and again again i think a lot of these things are going to sort of be revealed to us over the next few days in terms of how things are, are synergizing so one this is also the first time that we've seen sagas at common and so i also the, all the sagas that are at common are not super exciting to me thus far like they all seem pretty i don't know underpowered and i wonder if uh, R&D was a little tentative in terms of pushing this kind of effect at common. Um, the second thing is, oftentimes the power of sagas comes from flickering them or bouncing them or rebuying them in some way. Like you get whatever the ultimate chapter is that it's building up towards, you get that effect. And then before the saga dies, you flicker it, bounce it back to your hand to rebuy all those effects. These sagas, you don't want to, you, I think, actively don't want to do that, right? That's not something you're trying to do because you really want to work towards getting a creature that affects the board, right? That makes sense to me. I do think there's also something to be said for a lot of cards caring about artifacts and enchantments yes. entering the battlefield and hitting the graveyard and doing other things like that. And so you're getting two enchantments entering the battlefield for every saga, right? Because you're getting it on the front side when it hits and you're getting another enchantment ETB when you get the creature. Right, that, that's really important to note. And I think for Befriending the Moths specifically, as we'll see when we look at what Red White is trying to do, there seems to be an attacking alone theme. And I think Befriending the Moths may be really good in that kind of deck specifically because you know giving a creature plus one plus one and flying makes it a threat that you can attack with and you get your sort of attack alone trigger if that's important to you, et cetera. But you know, I don't know, it's tough to evaluate a four mana you know, enchantment that requires setup to be good uh, without the full scope of the format. Yes. All right. Ninjutsu is next, Ben. <laughs> no. What's, what's going on with ninjutsu? So ninjutsu is an activated ability, and it's going to allow you to sneak a ninja onto the battlefield from your hand that is already tapped and attacking. So the way that you do this is you reveal a card with ninjutsu from your hand, and you pay the ninjutsu cost on the card. It's an alternate casting cost for the card almost, I guess, but it's an ability. You're not actually casting the card, are you? No, you're not. Then you have to have an unblocked attacking creature that you control to be able to put a card with ninjutsu from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. So that's going to happen after the declare blockers phase. So it's really important to be clear about what's going on in combat when you're playing with 
a mechanic like ninjutsu. So you'll attack, your opponent will declare blocks. If you have a creature that's unblocked, then you have the ability to ninjutsu a creature onto the battlefield. So for example, at common here, we've got Dokuchi Shadow Walker. It's four black black for a 5-5 ogre ninja. Six mana 5-5 is a nothing to write home about. That is like, you know, near F territory, D minus territory. But... It has ninjutsu for three and a black. So if you have an unblocked attacker, you can pay four mana to sneak this 5-5 in, and you know it's going to connect, uh, and that's going to take out a quarter of your opponent's life total. It's, this this card has explosive potential for sure. Absolutely, yeah. If you can ninjutsu this in for four mana, this is a beater, and it's going to be way ahead of schedule as far as your opponent being able to compete with it. So a couple of things to keep in mind when playing with or against uh, ninjutsu. So in terms of enabling these cards, you really want to be on the lookout for two things. Cheap evasive threats, right, that can easily go unblocked that you can then swap into your ninjutsu creature for and then easily redeploy that cheap evasive threat or enter the battlefield effects, right? If you are if you have a creature come into play, it, it triggers something when it does so, and then if that goes on block, you can rebuy that enter the battlefield effect with a ninjutsu attacker as well. On the reverse side, if you're playing against this, well, one, when you're playing against islands or swamps in this format, you're going to have to do a little bit of anticipatory combat math, right, in terms of thinking, okay, I can race this current board, but what if they sneak in this four mana five five next turn? How is that going to change my calculus in terms of what I'm doing? Can I really afford to let their creature go unblocked? Maybe it's better for me to just leave a blocker back and trade off instead. And two, if you're planning to fire off removal on a creature in combat, I would not wait until after you've declared blockers, unless you're really thinking they're going to sneak in a ninjutsu creature and then I'm going to kill that ninjutsu creature. But if you wait to fire off removal until after the declare blockers phase before damage, your opponent can save their creature from removal by using the ninjutsu ability on an unblocked creature. I think there's also an interesting layer with your opponent makes a fishy attack, right? You're trained as a magic player that when your opponent makes a fishy attack, oh, they probably have a combat trick. I shouldn't block. Mm-hmm. But with ninjutsu, I think you're actively incentivized to block against blue-black players. And there's awkward tension. If there are good combat tricks in blue and black, you can get punished. But it's really bad when your opponent gets to ninjutsu, something powerful like Dokushi Shadow Walker, onto the battlefield ahead of schedule. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, I think... Ben and I maybe have not enjoyed ninjutsu in the past, you know, Modern <laughs> Horizons being the most recent example of it a few years ago, coming back. Um, but whether you like it or not, I do think that it adds an interesting layer to combat in the format, for sure. Lastly here, we've got another new mechanic in Channel. What's going on there? Uh, this is a returning mechanic. Channel abilities appear on a variety of permanent cards in the set. Permanents are great, but sometimes you need a more immediate impact, as the article says, and each channel ability allows you to discard the card with the ability from your hand for an effect. And I mean, this is just more great modality for limited. Look at this example card. We've got Greater Tanuki, four green green for a 6-5 enchantment creature dog at common. It has trample, so we've just got, you know, our big chonky common creature, six mana, six five trampler. But it has channel for Tuna Green, discard Greater Tanuki, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So it's a three mana rampant growth effect, but this also fixes your mana if you're splashing as well. If this is in your opening hands, you know, that can sort of feel like a dead draw sometimes. But with the channel ability, that really opens up the possibilities. This is I'm thrilled to see this kind of mechanic for limited. Yeah, it looks very powerful. So we've got about half, a little bit more than half of the gold uncommon spoiled already. Um, So let's take a look at those and we can sort of start to peg what the the two color archetypes are trying to do. So first up for blue black, we've got silver fur master. This is blue black for a 2-2 rat ninja has ninjutsu for blue and a black, so you can sneak it onto the battlefield also in addition to just casting it. Ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate, and other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So that's just pretty straightforward. I mean, we already, I think, expected blue-black to be the ninja ninjutsu archetype, and this is very clearly synergizing with that. Yeah, but you're going to have to be careful to not leave a creature unblocked if you suspect your opponent has this or account for, well, if my opponent has Silver Fur Master, I need to make sure I'm anticipating all their team getting plus one plus one. Right. So yeah, an unblocked creature can get this snuck in in exchange for it, and then it 
potentially pumps your other creatures, so it can be a combat trick too. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Uh, for green-white, we've got Jukai Naturalist. This is green-white for a 2-2 enchantment creature human monk with lifelink, and it says enchantment spells you cast cost one less to cast. Ben, I, I, I know I've said it before. I have no idea why, but like enchantress stuff I, really appeals to me. I'm, I, every time I see a type line that's like enchantment creature, I get really excited. Theros beyond death, baby. Yeah, there it is. So we got uh, we got an Enchantment Matters theme here with green white. We're going to see a sort of like Enchantment slash Artifact Matters thing bleed across a lot of colors, which is again another exciting thing. I find that types matter, the mechanics are are quite fun. Keeping track of all that stuff is fun. So I'm um, looking forward to Jukai Naturalist. In blue red, we've got Enthusiastic Mechanaut. This is blue red for a 2-2 artifact creature, Goblin Artificer with flying. And it says artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. That seems real. That seems way better to me than the green white one, right? Because artifacts can. I mean, what if you get some one mana artifacts? Not that we often get one mana artifacts that are you know impactful, but potentially getting to cast them for free, reducing the cost of artifacts is big game. I think, especially attached to a a two two flyer versus a two two lifelink. Well, and we've already seen a lot of sweet artifact payoffs. I think so. Definitely mm-hmm. looks like that mechanic is going to be heavily supported uh next up in green black we've got gloom shrieker so one black green for a 2-1 enchantment creature cat beast it has menace and when it enters the battlefield return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand and if it would die exile it instead it's a little bit of tension on this card right because because it's three mana well it's aggressive also and then it wants you to grind i mean it's a very brawly powerful magic card right yes except that like you want these these like gravedigger effects get worse the cheaper they are i think i mean unless you're like fine just running this out as a three mana two one menace but i don't think you are like you would much rather this be a five mana three three i think than this three mana two one because you want to play your things that recur permanence later in the game yeah that makes sense but this is still a good card right i guess i don't know i'm sort of like can they just find something good for black green to do in limited (laughs) in one set like is that so hard to ask i feel like black green gets the short end of the stick a lot they're like it's um it's uh it's a graveyard graveyard synergy yeah that's it like i don't know i'm not i'm not sold on gloom streaker but obviously a very small piece of the green black puzzle spoiled so far Yes. Moving on to red white, we've got Asari Captain. This is three red white for a four three human samurai with haste. And whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gets plus one plus oh until end of turn for each samurai or warrior you control. This is weird, right? It's like kind of like red white. We're used to being aggressive. This seems like a slant on aggro in terms of an exalted theme, right? Something attacking alone, getting a, a benefit. There's also another card that's spoiled here that we can talk about, Tempered in Solitude. So there's one in a red for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Curious your thoughts on that, but we, we seem to see an attacking alone theme here, at least at Uncommon for red-white. I'm a little skeptical of the signpost Uncommon here as a low toughness beater here five mana four three haste and it only gets the power buffed if it attacks alone i don't know that doesn't seem that strong to me i agree it's a little expensive you'd want more toughness but i just i'm a little skeptical of the attacking alone theme in general if you're an aggressive deck you want to be putting pressure on your opponent and attacking with all of your creatures right so maybe Mm -hmm. you're aggressive and then you suit things up with reconfigure to modify them and you like force your opponent to just deal with your creatures one at a time i don't know i'm curious to see how it ends up playing out in the format i agree yeah you're right about that like the tempered and solitude thing i think is interesting in the sense of this is the, the enchantment that lets you you know get card advantage when you attack alone that's interesting to me in the sense of like you know you can just sort of cash in your creatures that don't matter or have been outclassed for new cards off the top. I think that's good, but that's pretty darn in opposition with an aggressive strategy. You just want to push, push, push damage and not go, okay, it's time for me to, you know, chump attack with my two, two to try and see if I can rip something fresh off the top. I don't think that's good. Well, to me, if it's going to be good, that says you're trying to Voltron on one creature in red, white, which is, Interesting, certainly, if that's how it ends up being playing out and and ends up being good. And then I guess we have to see what the removal is like or what the protection spells are like in terms of I want to suit stuff up. Do we have like a God's willing or whatever kind of effect to protect your creatures, a dive down, some sort of hexproof trick to say, look, I'm I'm not going to get punished for Voltroning here. 
Next up, we've got the black-white signpost, which is Naomi, Pillar of Order. This is three white black for a 4-4 legendary creature, human advisor. When Naomi, Pillar of Order, enters the battlefield or attacks, if you control an artifact and an enchantment, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. I mean, this the ceiling here is high, right? But how easy is it going to be to have an artifact and an enchantment on the battlefield? I have no idea. It seems like it's going to be fairly easy to have an enchantment on the battlefield. Artifacts in black, white, less so from what's been spoiled so far. Um, yeah, I, like, I think we just don't have a big enough picture or a good enough idea of of what the like types are and how many they are and where they're at in terms of the color pie to know how easy this will be to enable. But we'll have to see. I mean, I, five mana for a four, four plus a two, two on ETB plus threatening to get another one when it attacks. Again, that ceiling is really high, I think. And I will say, you know, despite not having the full picture, it does look like there's a lot of bleed and overlap synergistically, even among just the cards that have been spoiled so far, which is pretty exciting, I think, as a limited player and a drafter, because those are the formats that end up being really deep. They give you a lot of flexibility and power during the draft portion. Yeah. And I, I pulled this from our Discord, but it looks like, you know, they, I think maybe in the, the the stream where they talked about the new cards on the Magic Channel on Thursday, talking about what the 10 archetypes are. So blue-white is vehicles. That's exciting to see. Blue-black is ninjas and rogues. Black-red is artifacts and artifact sack. Red-green is modified. Green-white is enchantments. Red-white is Samurai and Warriors. Black-white is Artifacts and Enchantments. Blue-green is Channel and Ramp. That's exciting. Blue-red is Artifacts and Artifact ETBs. And black-green is um, uh, Recursion and Attrition. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Uh, we got some more equipment slash modified matters cards to take a look at. What's first here? Ancestral Katana. One and a white for an artifact equipment. Whenever a samurai or a warrior you control attacks alone, you can pay one. When you do attach Ancestral Katana to it, equipped creature gets plus two plus one, and it has a regular equip cost of three. Yeah, I mean, two mana for plus two plus one with an equip cost of one. That's really good. I'm really interested in that. Equip cost of three, less so. Well, also some tension if there's just reconfigure cards that are good because this is significantly worse than a reconfigure card, unless the plus two plus one boost is just good enough in the format to allow you to push a lot of damage. Right. Well, a lot of the reconfigure cards, one, their equip cost or their reconfigure cost is quite expensive, or the equipment doesn't boost power and toughness or doesn't boost it as significantly as I think plus two plus one, as we've seen. Next up, we've got Suave Operator. <laughs> I hope this is actually the name of the card because it's uh, not in English yet uh, or has not been previewed in English yet. Uh, but it's one in a red for a 1-3 human samurai at uncommon, and it gets plus two plus oh for each other modified creature you control. The art looks pretty suave. He's got on some hip red glasses there. <laughs> yeah, it's got like an Elvis thing going on in the art. That's funny. I, I don't know. Is this that good? Like you got to jump through some hoops to get this to be a 3-3, maybe a 5-3. But still like this seems like a card I'd be more excited for at common in terms of like a collect them all or they can all like, you know, get boosts. But that uncommon, I, I don't know. It makes me I'm a little... I'm much more excited about the common 2-1 that like when a modified thing dies, you get a 1-1 than this for now. Yes, I agree completely. Last up, we've got Arm Guard Familiar here. This is one and a blue for a 2-1 artifact creature equipment beast. It has ward two and equipped creature gets plus two plus one and has ward two and it's got reconfigure for four. So for one extra mana, assuming you're not attacking alone, this is better than the random equipment the ancestral katana we saw because this also gives plus two plus one but also gives ward two and and is a two one itself yeah i think this card looks very powerful to me yeah i mean it's just a common like it's not insane or anything it's a two mana two one but this flexibility this modality the fact like that one of the things you really want from your two drops is for them to not be dead in the late game and so when you draw this late it's like well, yeah i don't care about a two mana two one but i'm happy to slap this on something else to maybe enable attacks or stabilize me against other attacks with a larger creature like yeah the, the modality here is just can, cannot be underestimated i think and so i think with all these reconfigure cards too important to note that they are ways to modify creatures yes yeah for sure uh, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this next point, Ben. Shrines are back, baby. We've got Go Shintai of Shared Purpose. It's a shrine creature. 
So this is three and a white for a one three legendary enchantment creature shrine has vigilance at the beginning of your end step. You can pay one. If you do create a one one colorless spirit creature token for each shrine you control. So this is the only shrine that's been previewed so far, but we have to imagine that we're that we're going to see one in each of the colors at uncommon in this sort of legendary enchantment creature slot. Yeah, and I think could be super sweet points to maybe some fun multicolored good stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. We've also got returning from old Kamigawa sets. Kamis are back. Here we've got a geothermal Kami, three and a green for a 4-3 spirit at common. When it enters the battlefield, you may return an enchantment you control to its owner's hand if you do you gain three life. So potentially you could, if you want to not flip a saga, you could pick up a saga on its second chapter before it flips into a creature. If you've got stuff that cares about enchantments entering the battlefield, you can rebuy that for another trigger. Gaining three life is not bad. I mean, it's just going to depend on, you know, how good this is in terms of the tempo loss you're getting and, and what you're rebuying in terms of getting something to cast again. All right, moving on to some sagas that have been previewed. We've got more common sagas. This is Era of Enlightenment, one and a white for an enchantment saga. First chapter, you scry two. Second chapter, you gain two life. And then third chapter, you exile it and return it to the battlefield as Hand of Enlightenment, which is a 2-2 enchantment creature with first strike. Okay, so I just want to rattle off these common ones and then maybe talk about them as a group. So the next one here is the Modern Age, one and a blue. First two chapters are the same. Draw a card, then discard a card. And then third chapter, exile it, return to the battlefield, transformed as Vector Glider, which is a 2-3 flying creature. There's also a red one, the Shattered States Era. This is four and a red for a saga. Chapter one, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste until end of turn. Chapter two, creatures you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn. And chapter three, exile the saga and return it as Nameless Conqueror. Three, three, trample haste. So I've been wrong before about this, and my default is to be like, look, they're like the headliner mechanics or returning mechanics or whatever. They're going to be good for limited. These common sagas seem bad to me. Whoa, I really like the white and the blue one. But that's like you're paying two mana. I just don't think you can do that in limited anymore. Like you're paying two mana to not affect the board. You're not even getting like a card. Like you loot twice and then you get a two, three flyer that can't attack until the following turn. Like I guess the two, three flyer is good. The white one, a two, two first striker on turn. What is that? That's going to be turn four is when you have it as a blocker and turn five as an attacker. That just doesn't do anything, right? But there's reconfigure in the format, right? It's going to be so easy to turn it into a four-powered first striker or a five-powered first striker. I think that body's super good for two mana. And I think the first two chapters of the era, like, offset you not having the creature, right? You're going to gain two life to offset not having a two drop and your opponent hitting mm-hmm. you with their two drop. And then it's going to be on the battlefield. You would be excited about a two mana, two, two first strike. Yes, I would. But I want that on turn two, not on turn five. Yeah. And what if, And what if you don't fire this off on turn two that's the other thing like what if you draw this after your opening hand yes i agree that's the that's the biggest knock against them they are really awkward not coming down on curve i think yeah so i i don't know and and the uncommon ones i think have have a bit more impact as you would expect and certainly certainly the rares we've seen but these common ones i'm a little skeptical of and we'll just certainly have to see how they play out i'm definitely going to be playing with them um but I am, I'm a little nervous if so one, does it point to a slower format or two, are they just going to be too slow for limited? And, you know, something like the red one, we think of an active treason effect as either an F or it's an A, right? Because it's just like winning the game or it's part of a steal and sack package. Shattered States era is like, hey, here's the first chapter, which is an active treason. But it's not going to end the game or less. You're not thinking it's ending the game because then you've got chapter two and then it comes back as a three, three haste like. I don't know. Is that good? No, the red one, I think, looks pretty bad to me. Because it's so expensive. It's so expensive and so awkward. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, th- these I'm I'm having a really hard time figuring out how they're going to play out. But your, your point about modified, especially with the first striker in white and the um and the flyer in blue makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I do. I do like the blue and the white ones tentatively, I think. All right, Vehicles Matter is up next. What do we got going on with vehicles here? First up, we've got Hotshot Mechanic, a.k.a. Star Fox, as it was coined <laughs> in the Lord's Limited Discord. This is white for a 2-1 Fox Pilot, and Hotshot Mechanic crews vehicles as though its power were 2 greater. So this can like help you crew a vehicle with crew 4, for example. 
that seems like better for constructed, I think, than for limited. That I'm just like I'm nervous. I'm already nervous about a crew three or crew four kind of creature, even if I've got hotshot mechanic at my disposal. Except, I mean, if blue white really is the, the mechanics archetype, yeah. I mean, it's possible that this could be absurd in blue white. So I think until we see what cards are spoiled, probably got to give hotshot mechanic a chance at least. Oh, for sure. I mean, and also just a one mana two one, I think is gonna be good, and it's got good types. I can't. I'm so glad that we get to say that. Again, for a format, it's got, got good types. It's an artifact. That's going to matter. <laughs> um, we've got a vehicle spoiled as well, which is Nimble Hoverbike. This is two mana for a 2-2 two, two flash flying artifact vehicle at Uncommon. When it enters the battlefield, tap up to one target creature, and it's only got a crew cost of one. This looks super nice to me. Yeah, this is a very good, nice little tempo play. Uh, flash it in, tap a thing, and then... Just re- every creature you play is like a hasty 2-2 flyer. That's really good. Yep. All right, moving on to a very broad category here in artifacts and enchantments mattering, but I think it is sweet that all of these matter and they matter spread across a lot of colors. Mm-hmm. First up is a good doggo, Spirited Companion, one on a white for a 1-1 enchantment creature dog. When it enters the battlefield, three magic words, Ben, draw a card. This is pretty darn strong right yeah i did a whole piece for the cfb newsletter about this card and like you know we've seen a wide range of cantripping creatures in limited being you know mediocre to insane but i do think the gold standard here of elvish visionary in a two mana one one cantripping creature is really good, especially with all the augmentations that exist, especially that this has good types as an enchantment itself, which is going to matter. You know, imagine you you have this in a green-white deck, and so you've got the green-white enchantment creature that makes your enchantments one mana cheaper, and now you're paying a one mana one one that draws a card? That's wild. I mean, I just think, I think this card's going to be really good. Well, and also just teed up for Geothermal Kami, right? You can pick it up, replay oh, it, hello. draw a card. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have what he's having, yes. And then also just important to be aware, a great thing to pick up with ninjutsu too, right? Maybe you're blue white and you've got some blue ninjutsu creatures, maybe you're black white, you've got the the black creature, the five five that we saw earlier, mm-hmm. like great creature to pick up that your opponent might leave unblocked, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, they want to make other blocks or they they feel like they can race the one one. They don't care about it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we got Garbage Andy's Spirit Animal next. What's going on here? Runaway Trash Bot. Three mana for an <laughs> 0-4 construct with Trample, and it gets plus one plus 0 for each artifact and or enchantment card in your graveyard. I'm excited about this. I mean, again, types mattering. Um, we've definitely seen a, a broad artifact and enchantment theme. This being an uncommon, I think, points to its potential to be powerful. And this is a card where like, Sure, it, it already has four toughness, which generally is the magic number in limited formats, like getting out of range of the deal three spells or the, you know, minus two, minus two or minus three, minus three spells that black has to offer. And then just like if you can get this to whatever, you know, five, four, six, four can't be chumped. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah, it looks very strong to me. Next, we've got Covert Technician, two and a blue for a two, four. It's an artifact creature human ninja at uncommon uh and it has ninjutsu for one and a blue so you can sneak this in for two mana and whenever covert technician deals combat damage to a player you may put an artifact card with mana value less than or equal to that damage from your hand onto the battlefield seems strong ish yeah, to me i think it depends like what kind of cheap artifacts we're gonna see but if you get a consistent mana reduction like that that's that's and this is kind of hard to block because it's a got a big butt three mana two four well yeah three mana two four is just fine stats to begin with the artifact mm-hmm. creature like this is presumably slotting into blue black or blue red but i mean think it's hard to tell how powerful it is without seeing the cards that it's going to synergize well with right Ooh, next up what do we got here We've got Moon Snare Prototype. This is a sweet one. Blue for an artifact, and it has tap an untapped artifact or creature you control to add a colorless mana. So a Springleaf Drum effect there, or more recently, Jasper Sentinel type effect. Mm-hmm. And then it's also got Channel. Four and a blue, discard this. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on top or bottom of their library. Yeah, this I think is really sweet. So the five mana sort of, you know, totally lost, Burying Books, Style Effect, Revenge of the Drowned Effect. That's just pretty good. I mean, if not just slightly overcosted here in terms of the, the effects we've seen 
similar to it in recent sets. But the modality here, again, cannot be denied. And when you want this sort of Springleaf drum effect, when you want to have a cheap artifact in your deck or a cheap artifact under the battlefield, when you want to ramp or use your creatures in this way, I, I, I love this card. Well, especially if there's ways to pick it up, right? To like oh, get the, get the yeah. mana boost and then return it to your hand and then you can channel it as a spell later in the game. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's awesome. All right, next up, we've got our preview card, Leech Gauntlet. One in a black for a 2-2 artifact creature equipment leech at Uncommon. It has lifelink, and it has a reconfigure cost of 4 to give equipped creature lifelink. So you get your 2-mana 2-2 lifelinker early, and then in the late game, you're just like, all right, slap this on whatever larger threat I have, and now it's impossible for you to race. Yeah, I mean, a very powerful card. This is exactly what you want from your 2-drops. Yeah. Moving on to Bronze Plate Boar. Two and a red for a 3-2 artifact creature with trample. An equipped creature gets plus three, plus two, and has trample. Has a reconfigure cost of five. That's hefty, but the fact that this one also boosts power and toughness, it's a bummer that Leech Gauntlet doesn't. But the fact that this one boosts power and toughness, even for a, a very hefty cost, still just a three mana, three, two trample is fine. You know, that's like, whatever, that's probably D plus C minus territory. But then this late game effect of just like everything becomes a huge trampling threat if you have the mana for this. That's great. Yeah, this is just a very powerful card. Uh, next up, we've got Sukenzen Smelter. One in red for a 2-2 Goblin Artificer at Uncommon. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may pay one and sacrifice an artifact. If you do, create a 3-1 red construct artifact creature token with haste. Please let there be some cantripping artifacts in this set. Well, and please let there be some, like, please let there be a, like, blood artist for artifacts dying or something. Like, give me, like, a little bit of sacrifice synergy. Give me that aristocrat-style deck in limited, please. Yeah, I think high hopes for this card, but too early to say how good it's going to be. For sure. Next up, we've got just an insanely good limited Magic the Gathering card. This is Twin Shot Sniper. This was limited resources preview card, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three and a red for a 2-3 Goblin Archer with Reach. It's an artifact creature. When it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target, and it's got channel for one and a red. Discard it to deal two damage to any target. I mean, that's just wildly powerful, right? I mean, you really always hope to fire this off as a four mana 2-3 to get, because you just also then get that effect. But the fact that you have that modality to kill a thing when you need to, you, this can go face, so you just finish off your opponent, whatever, like... This is very, very strong. And I guess channel effects can't be countered, right? Like, because you're not casting it, you're discarding it and getting the effect. So it's like cycling. I don't know if that's relevant or not, but uh, yeah, something to keep in mind. We've had a few removal cards previewed already. First up, big story piece of the puzzle here with Tamio's completion, three and a blue for an enchantment aura with flash. It enchants an artifact creature or a planeswalker. When it enters the battlefield, tap enchanted permanent. If it's an equipment, unattach it. Enchanted Permanent loses all abilities and doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So a, a card in the long line of blue-based enchantment removal, where does this mash up for you in terms of, you know, it's four mana, but it's flash, it does tap the thing. What are your thoughts on this? I think I'm cautiously optimistic that it's playable and maybe slightly better <laughs> than playable. I mean... Hard for me to say that I think it's good. It does obviously crush reconfigure cards, which is nice. Um, like to maybe blow someone out in combat. They're attacking with a creature that has a reconfigure card on it. You can Tamio's completion the reconfigure card and then block the smaller Ooh, creature yeah, that's yeah. left around. So, I mean, there's some upside there that you could draw up. But I think in general, I am starting medium on this card and will buy if it seems like the format dictates that it's better than maybe we've seen this type of effect being. Yeah. How, how much better than capture sphere is this? And I'm, I'm a little dubious to say anything more than this is just capture sphere. Yep. Next up, we've got assassins Inc. This is two black, black for an instant uncommon costs one less to cast. If you control an artifact and another one less to cast, if you control an enchantment, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Yeah, I mean, this is our, you know, uncommon catch-all removal spell in black, and this seems strong. Yep. Next up, we've got Lethal Exploit, one on a black for an instant at common. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. It gets an additional minus one, minus one until end of turn for each modified creature you controlled as you cast this spell. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. So, like, this is good on turn two, or good early in the game in terms of just killing a small threat. It's also good in the sense that 
you can not only just kill a thing that's an X2, but you can you know use this in combat as a way to shrink a creature and kill it, whether you're attacking or blocking. And it maybe scales with the game a little bit as well in terms of being able to give minus three, minus three, or minus four, minus four, whatever. Yeah, it does look pretty sweet. I like Lethal Exploit quite a bit. All right, my favorite new section, or not new, but we, we've been doing this for a while in these style of episodes. Great... Or garbage, Ben, or as it was deemed in Vow, just garbage or garbage as every card we <laughs> we looked at, we ended up not liking. But I, I think we've got some some real secret good cards here. What's up? What's up first? First up, we've got Imperial Subduer. This is two and a white for a three two human samurai, and whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, tap target creature you don't control. So this is kind of interesting in that if you have multiples of these, the effect stacks, right? So if you have two and you're attacking alone with something, you can tap two creatures. This does have potential, I think, but three mana three twos in white have not been good for a long time. Yes. I mean, it's tempting to compare this to something like Territorial Hammer Skull or something like that. It is not that card, but I think certainly depending on how good the attacking alone thing is, just even tapping a creature to enable attacks to where your opponent can't double block the thing that you're mm-hmm. attacking alone with if you're snowballing with a, a creature that's attacking by itself could be worth it yeah i'm keeping my eye out on this card for sure but we gotta Except, say we can't just say medium is it great or is it garbage that's i think the, this the segment. is <laughs> well wait first of all sir you have many times in the past been like i don't know somewhere in between but i will <laughs> i will land I will, i'll play i'll play your game and i will land on the side of garbage for imperial subduer i am also going to start on garbage but I think it's got potential. <laughs> uh, we got Agent of the Future up next. It's three and a blue for a three, four human ninja at uncommon. As long as it's tapped, it is a human citizen with base power and toughness one, one and can't be blocked. And it has an ability of two and a blue to untap Agent of the Future. So I guess a potential ninjutsu enabler, right? That's the joke here. This looks terrible to me. <laughs> I agree. Like, I mean, a four mana three, four is a fine stat line, but... Then it attacks as a 1-1. If I want it to attack for three damage, I have to pay three mana for that. I don't want to do that. And if I want a ninjutsu in something, then I have to pay four mana again to replay this. This is not the ninjutsu enabler you want. I mean, this is really bad, right? I'm not like secretly missing something about this card. No, you you have read so far as I can tell, you have read this card correctly this time. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can, after it's unblocked, untap it. And hit yeah, them to, for three unblocked. To deal but that's two still more not, damage for three mana. That's not good. No, not good. No. Sorry, Agent of the Future. You're garbage. Up next, we've got Malicious Malfunction. This is one black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. If a creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Oof, these are so hard to evaluate without the full picture of the format, without knowing how big stuff is, how fast the format is, etc. This is tough. We to have to peg this as greater garbage now. That's hard. I think I'm starting on garbage always with this. Really? I I, I kind of want to start great here. I feel like we've mostly just seen small stuff. Mm, maybe. I, <laughs> I think so many things have to line up for this type of effect to be good. I know. Yeah, you're so you're so right. And like, you know, if maybe I'm just I'm just off of vow in terms of, well, you know, if you if you, it's not good, you just blood it away. It's in black. You just use blood and you discard it. <laughs> yeah, even something like Vampire's Vengeance from Vow, I, I ended up being pretty darn low on. And that you could fire off at instant speed, it made blood, you could use it in combat. You can't do that with this at all. You're probably right that it's garbage, but I'm I'm gonna start on great here. Try and mix it up. All right, moving on to Aki Warpaint. This is red for an enchantment aura. Enchant an artifact or a creature. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus two, plus one. Uh, my heart says garbage. Right, your limited resources training says garbage. But, I, so there's a couple things happening here. One, I can't remember the last time we saw this kind of effect for a single mana. It's usually like two mana for plus two, plus two, right? And maybe it gets haste or something. One mana is cheap, plus the modified stuff, plus like... Things look like it's in red and red could be aggressive. I, I kind of want to say great for Aki Warpaint. I also secretly kind of want to <laughs> say great, but that feels a little hot takey, right? I, I mean, especially without seeing the full scope of the format for sure. But let's let's do it. Aki Warpaint. You heard it here first. It's great. And if it's not great, then you didn't hear it, hear it here at all. 
Next up, we've got Secluded Courtyard. This is a land at Uncommon. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. It taps to add a colorless mana, or you can tap to add one mana of any color, but only spend that mana to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or activate an ability of a creature or creature card of the chosen type. This is just a constructed card, right? Yeah, you typically hate these kind of lands in Limited. Yeah, this cannot be good. Like, I mean, maybe if you get the nutso ninjutsu deck that's like all of your creatures are ninjas or whatever or you have the samurai warrior deck or whatever i I don't know but i just can't imagine that this is going to be playable in most limited decks in this format can i interest you in naming shrine um never mind this card is a b plus and will be (laughs) a very high pick i did not think about naming shrines and i would love to name shrines in my five color shrines deck thank you yeah so there may be some potential there Yeah, that's fair. I like that. I like that take. All right, moving on to Bamboo Grove Archer. This is one and a green for a 3-3 enchantment creature, Snake Archer with Defender and Reach, and it has channel four and a green. Discard this to destroy target creature with flying. Well, you know, best of one Bob loves a card like this, I think, getting a way to main deck a plummet effect if you want to in best of one. I mean, this will largely depend on like what green decks look like. Like, are they interested in a two mana three, three to clog up the ground and potentially the skies while it you know ramps into other things? I could definitely see this being a role player, but I'm going to start on the side of garbage here. Yeah, there's just no world for it to be great. I mean, it's just not a good enough magic card. Is this segment just garbage or garbage? <laughs> Maybe. A- A- Aki-, Aki War Paint says no. All right. Last on the list, we've got... Banishing Slash, white, white for a sorcery at Uncommon. Destroy up to one target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. Then, if you control an artifact and an enchantment, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. I want this to be good. This is a lot of hoops, Ben. A lot of hoops. Well, I mean, white, white sorcery, destroy a tapped creature, is not a bad Magic the Gathering card in a game of Limited. It's not great. It's not bad. I don't... It means the thing has hit you once. Okay, so how excited are you? Let's say, best case scenario, you take a hit, you kill something, and you get a 2-2. How excited are you about that card? I'm thrilled about that card. So I think, I mean, the floor of just killing something can't be that much worse than a card you're thrilled about right yeah i agree except like by the time that you have the setup here to to achieve that ceiling of getting a 2-2 i think the 2-2 is going to be largely irrelevant yes i agree this is mostly i think white white sorcery destroy a tapped creature with some additional flexibility for best of one which you're not going to be playing anyway well, I, well I th- you know, we've seen a prevalence of artifacts and enchantments, you know, creatures. This can kill a creature that is an artifact or enchantment and it doesn't have to be tapped, right? Yeah, I, I think this is much closer to great than it is garbage. Yeah, I think that's fair. As I'm, as I'm unpacking this, I think certainly the, the floor of you take a hit from something that you need to kill and then you can kill it and then everything else being a bit upside with a really potentially strong ceiling I think the downside of the cost of this being sorcery speed is is mitigated by that. I'll, I'll go great on Banishing Slash. I mean, and it's not great, great, but it's definitely not garbage. I think that's true. I think it's definitely not garbage. All so right. if we're choosing, it's got to be great. That's the segment. It's got to be great. That's the segment. We're sticking to it. That's the good, good content we're putting out. Yeah, and those are the cards we wanted to talk about. Just doing a quick refresh on the preview so far, and we're all all caught up here, Ben, though I'm sure you know there'll be more out later today. And certainly tomorrow on Monday, there'll be a big dump as well. So you know this it won't be the most up-to-date when it comes out, but it's really, I think, gives us a good scope of what we can expect in the coming days. And I'm so excited for this format. I think it looks really sweet. Yeah, this is plenty to whet my appetite for the format. I mean, traditionally, these spring sets are the more complex limited sets, and it looks like this is living up to that tradition. That's true. Well, I guess, are we... Technically in spring. So last year we had Kaldheim in this slot and then the year before was Theros Beyond Death in this slot, but then followed closely on the heels by one of our favorites, Akoria. So, you know, I, I think that that's true. And uh, I am very excited for this this set. And and hopefully it, it has a lot of fruit to bear because uh, we're going to have it for a few months. Yeah, I mean, I sign me up to play with all these modal effects and overlapping synergies. If If the stuff that it looks like these cards are pointing to is true... This would be the style of format I would be happy to live with for a few months. Yeah, for sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. 
Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases on the marketplace, or if you're signing up for CFB Pro, and we encourage you to do that, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. And we're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. That is not true because it's a 1-1. One, one. You attack for two turns. You play it on one. They don't play a one drop. You attack. They miss their two drop. You attack. But how does that four damage? It's a 1-1 one, one and it pings. When it becomes blocked, you have to read the card. That, that explains the card. Um, never mind. Close. <laughs> <laughs> well, or imagine like playing this and then equipping Ancestral Katana to it. You're bashing with a 5-4 on turn three. Ben, I'm, g- I'm going to get you again, buddy. What? No. For, I for just... each other modified creature you control. <sighs> Dang it. <laughs> so rough. Well, this is also just a gravedigger for your sagas that have flipped into a creature and then traded in combat, right? This is like what you were talking about with the black green uncommon, a more expensive, more relevant body. How does this get the creature back from the graveyard? Isn't it going to go to the graveyard as a saga? Like once befriending the moss dies on the backside, it goes to the graveyard, yes? And then you can rebuy it? This says you may return an enchantment you control. Oh, God, reading. What is going on today, buddy? I don't know. I swear. I assumed it was an enchantment gravedigger. At common? That's insane. I know. I was really excited. also gains you three life? I was really excited about the card. (laughs) My God. (laughs) I thought it was very powerful. Okay, that I am cutting out. (laughs) Oh, man. Do do you have anything you want to say about this that isn't saga related? No. Okay. Do you want to take us on to talking about some sagas? (laughs) I would love to contribute positively to the podcast. (laughs) This is going to be the best super cut blooper (laughs) ever. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.